Hello friends, welcome to episode 94, yes, 94 of the Alabama Liberal Podcast. I know you're probably thinking, Alabama Liberal, these gaps are getting so long that even you have forgotten where you're at. So welcome to an episode of the Alabama Liberal Podcast. I think it's 94. Hey, you know, this is a free podcast. You get what you pay for. I mean, really, uh, I don't charge any money for these and I don't have any sponsors. So I think you can reasonably be like, okay, we can hear him. He's audible. That's about all we can expect. He's not vacuuming in the background. He didn't fall asleep. He's not laying down. So that's pretty good sound quality that we can hear him and understand him. But you're probably thinking that I need to win you over because it's been about six months or so since the last episode. I'm like the boyfriend who forgot Valentine's Day. I got to bring flowers and chocolates. I got to do something big to kind of get back in your good graces. And so I think this episode will be one of the better ones. If I can stick the landing, if I can push all my thoughts together, if I can corral them into a good space, because there's a lot of different things that are really interesting, some I've never talked about before, that I think are going to make this an interesting episode. It just gets harder and harder to record these sometimes because my daughter, she started preschool last September. And since then, I have been sick so many times. I think I've been sick more the last six months than the last 10 years put together just about. She starts preschool and I swear they must roll on top of each other in a big pile of germs or something. They must go around and literally, let's take our hands and put them in each other's mouths and just go in a circle and do that because she maybe gets something. Sometimes she doesn't even get sick, but she brings something home that gets us sick. And so the last six months I've had the flu, strep throat, a cold, just a regular old cold that lasted longer than COVID did. I've had COVID, literally I've had it this year. And because I had Paxlovid and I took some medicine, COVID lasted about a week and a half. I had a sickness last October that lasted almost the entire month of October. Turned out not to be COVID, but was just a preschool cold. People are like, yeah, man, you want to get COVID. You don't want to fuck around with those preschool germs. Those preschool colds, they will take you out. It will take six weeks to get over that. And some of that is because we were wearing masks for so long. In California, people are still wearing the masks. They're still wearing them. I kind of can't believe this, but everywhere I go, I still see people wearing them. I see people wearing them outside. They're outside walking their dog. Nobody's within 100 yards of them, and they're still wearing a mask as they walk around. And because we wore a mask mandated for about two years solid, for two years, years, you had to wear one from about early 2020 until the vaccine became really widely available. I wore one until about the middle of 2022. And then finally, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Can't live like this forever. And so I'm not going to wear one into Costco anymore and let the chips fall where they may. And that turned out to be fine because I was going to get sick regardless because my daughter was going to catch stuff at preschool. But the masks, I think, gave us a weaker immune system because I wasn't, I, I was basically kept in a bubble for about two and a half years. And because I wasn't exposed to germs or other people, are breathing, you eventually, your immune system becomes weaker because you're not being exposed to anything. That has been some of the reason I've been sick so many times. Of course, a lot of new stuff has happened in the time period that I've been gone. In some ways, things change and in some ways they don't change. Trump's still an asshole. He's still running for re-election. You just really get to the point where you don't even want to talk about him. Like you don't want to give him oxygen and energy. In previous episodes, I've compared it to Beetlejuice. You don't want to say his name three times or he'll show up. There'll be some new bullshit where he's like, you owe me a royalty just for saying my name out loud. But we had a pretty good midterm for the Democrats. Not as good as probably it should have been in terms of the Republicans in the House. They ran on a platform of, we have no platform and we're crazy as shit. Vote for us anyway. Some people fell for that. They some seats that you almost wonder, how did they flip four seats in New York? You know, sophisticated, educated, cosmopolitan New York, and there George Santos is, flipping a blue seat to a red seat, and this guy's one of the worst sitting congressmen in a party where that's truly saying something. Matt Gates is a sex offender, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is a walking, breathing, sentient embarrassment. I don't think she's a person so much as just embarrassment in human form. They can let 
down on George Santos. They have enough room to be like, oh man, at least we're not that guy. So that's truly saying something when you embarrass a party that hit the bottom of the barrel a long time ago. And so there's been the State of the Union address. This could run on autopilot. Biden comes out there and he quietly goes about the business of running the country. He actually has to run the country. He actually manages it. He's been doing a pretty good job. And then Republicans act like they're at a Kid Rock concert. They're booing him. They're sneering him. You lie. They're throwing shit. You know, they're acting like it's Dollar Beer Night at Mike's Tavern or something. The contrast between the two parties is pretty clear. And, and it has been for a long time. So you kind of wonder, 2022, during the midterm elections, I mean, Herschel Walker, the worst candidate I've ever seen for the Senate. Raphael Warnock, an incumbent senator who's already doing the job. He hasn't disgraced Georgia. There's been no major scandals. He can say he's a sure thing because he's already been doing it. There's nothing that's going to change dramatically if he's reelected. One or two points apart. Like, of course, it's great that Warnock was reelected, but it was so close and they had to go to a runoff. And you look at people and think, why did this have to go to a runoff? This is not a tough decision. It's not a tough decision to be between Marjorie Taylor Greene and whoever ran against her. And Marjorie Taylor Greene one big landslide re-election and you almost think like, okay, I know you're a Republican, but at a certain point, your brain cells have to kick in. You have to say, this person's not fit to be in Congress representing me, regardless of their ideology. I would think Marjorie Taylor Greene and any person who's alive would not be a tough decision. I don't even think they have to be alive. I think just any person, even if they're dead, even if they're in a coffin, at least you know they can't embarrass you. But like, Georgia elected a dead guy. Yeah, but they didn't embarrass us. There's no way he can embarrass you. He's dead. He's in the ground. It's kind of incredible, even though people were like, oh man, it's great that Katie Hobbs was elected governor of Arizona and Kari Lake, she was denied. That's the first Democratic governor Arizona's had in decades. So it is actually a big deal that they have two Democratic senators or they had two Democratic senators before Cinema changed parties. Well, not changed parties. She did the worst thing possible, which was flipped to being an independent. If she'd converted to the Republican Party, it might have actually been better because then Democrats could openly run against her in 2024. They wouldn't have to do this weird triangulated dance between the Republican, the Independent, and the Democrat. They could just run a straight two-person race, and that really would be a lot better. But when Katie Hobbs was running for governor, there were two Democratic senators, Mark Kelly, and pretty much Arizona turning into a blue state, at least in terms of the governor and the Senate races. That is a huge deal. But we're only really getting these victories because Republicans are running candidates that are so singularly bad. And some of them are still getting through. Matt Gates obviously should be in jail. He still got reelected. There's the pro-Putin caucus, the Putin appeasers, basically, that are in the House. Pretty much all of them were reelected. George Santos got through. He's going to tell us that he won the Iraq war single-handedly in a few months. Like He's the biggest fucking liar that we've ever seen. And that's really saying something, where we have politicians that no longer seem to even know what the truth is. You know, there's always politicians that lie. Dr. Oz is a liar. Herschel Walker is mental illness. And so there's a differentiation there almost to where like Dr. Oz is a fucking liar and definitely shouldn't have been in the Senate and I'm glad he got beat. But Herschel Walker is the kind of person, I don't even know if he realizes he's lying. Like I don't even know if he knows what reality is. He could be telling the truth as far as his 12 personalities are concerned. It kind of comes back to Trump in the sense that people say, with Barack Obama, they're like, oh, this is the first post-racial president, which I think we'll have to take that back. That label might have been premature. But with Trump, people are saying yeah, he's the first post-truth president. And you can see those effects play out with people like Walker 
who says he worked for the FBI, didn't work for the FBI, says he was a cop, was never a cop, says he graduated top of the class, he didn't graduate, says he's pro-life, he's paid for abortions, he hid several kids. Then he says, I've been a great dad. I've never hid these kids before. Well, they were never publicly acknowledged and he never talked about them. And there's a handful of them. They seem illegitimate to me. I don't know. But you have Trump who breaks a record for lying. Then you have Herschel Walker, who has apparently 12 different personalities who might literally be crazy. People think Trump's crazy. They know Herschel Walker's crazy. The voters of Georgia say, ah, it's a coin toss. I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. And then on the other side of that is George Santos, possibly lies even more than Walker does. You wonder where the bottom is or where it's going to be if there is one. And are we in a post-truth system, which goes back to episode 91, the war on reality, where we don't even know what reality is anymore. And you might question this and say, well, Republicans have been bad for a long time. And I've run through the list so many times, Hoover and Nixon and Harding and all those scandals. For my entire lifetime, you've had the Reagan Revolution kind of in the beginning, then the Newt Gingrich Revolution, which was even worse, then the George W. Bush neocons who were just wanting to blow up the world and declare war on anything. Oh, the Olive Garden, that sounds swarthy. Where's the Olive Garden's papers? You know, they were going to declare war on the shawarma sandwich place or something if they were too suspicious. You go further and think, well, it can't get any worse than this, but it did get worse with the Tea Party. And the Tea Party came along and you think, okay, but the Tea Party, this has got to be the bottom. This has got to be where the bottom is. Uh Uh-oh, here's Trump. And then beyond Trump, the MAGA party. And now we're almost in the post-Trump period where we're curious to see what could possibly come next or what could be worse. Will DeSantis somehow be even worse? He's certainly on track to be even worse. We can see that playing out every day. He goes after things I don't think Trump ever cared about or ever knew he could do. Would Trump really sit there and say, well, let's ban an AP class on black history or let's revoke their license or let's track the female athletes, their period size or the administration cycles. These are things I don't think Trump, it would have even really occurred to him to do this because he was so focused on me. I'm the best. I'm the leader. I'm who you should all be worshiping. Trump's ideology was basically centered around himself, whereas DeSantis has a much more clear ideology, which in some ways is even scarier because I do think he maybe believes a lot of the stuff he says more. But with Trump, it's sort of this hollowness at the core of it to be like, okay, I'm a Democrat, sure. Okay, I'm a Republican, sure. At one point, he was going to run for president under the Reform Party. He's been a Democrat, a Republican, a Reform Party, back to the Republican Party, talked about starting a third party in 2016 if he didn't get what he wanted. And this cycle, if he doesn't get the nomination, talked about starting a third party. So you could say he's been all of them. He's been a third party that exists in the Reform Party. He's been a Democrat. He's been a Republican. He's talked about starting a brand new party, the Patriot Party at one point, possibly the Trump Party. We don't know. He's all over the place because the ideology is him. And that kind of goes more with what we think of as traditional fascism. There's an autocrat. There's a leader. There's one person, and they are the shining sun. Political ideology is a little bit fuzzy. doesn't really matter. It could be Islamofascism. could be white supremacy. You know, I'm just here, and you worship me, and there's a political party, and they're behind me. Z Xi Jinping has sort of transferred China from a traditional communist model into more of a straight-up autocracy. The CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, they're there and everything, but it's really his party now. He is the number one. He does not want to be questioned on any level. 
the person that was the president before him, they got yanked out of Xi Jinping's last Congress when he was being elected to an unprecedented third term. Hu Jintao was literally removed from the building. And then the vice president, the one guy they said had anywhere close to the same level of power as Xi Jinping did, he was gone as well. He's like, oh, I'm not going to be back for the third term. I'm retiring. And I thought, so in one fell swoop, he got rid of the person before him and his vice president. So now there are no gods before me. I am all. I am the one. And of course, that's more of the traditional autocrat. But the differentiation between communism and fascism, to be honest with you, has always been a little bit bullshit. Communism's like, we're all equal. We are all the equal ones. You can't point to a communist society that ever truly adopted that. Joseph Stalin was, of course, the man in charge, large and in charge. I'm the man. Even back in the very early beginnings of communism in Russia, Lenin killed Trotsky. He had Trotsky run out of the country and then killed. So Lenin had nobody above him. It was him. Colin uh, Quinn, the legendary comedian, he even had a great joke where he says, from day one, Marxism was a failure. Marxism was Karl Marx and Engels. But you said the brochures and it's like, what's it called? Marxism. You know, Engels was like, hey, wait a minute, shouldn't that be Marxism and Engels? Ah, you know, the printer, it got jammed, but Marxism's just as good. So even from day one, you could see somebody being pushed out and replaced with the other. So you have Lenin and then you have Stalin and then you have over North Korea. That's a monarchy. Okay, you have Kim Jong-un now. Who was president before him? His father. Who was president before him? His grandfather. So the whole point of communism would be the power belongs to the people, not the aristocracy. Well, then how in the hell do you have a monarchy in North Korea, the most communist nation on earth, over in Cuba, the same damn thing where Fidel Castro's brother Raul takes over? These countries that claim to be communist, they're all full of shit. It's just another monarchy in the case of Cuba and North Korea, or just a power grab in the case of Xi Jinping's China or Vladimir Putin's Russia. There's really been no such thing as a true communist country. And I don't think we're going to see one because people want to have that power. They want that level of fame and fascism. And they're all interconnected. That's the title of the podcast because they're similar. When you want to be famous, you want to go out to places and you want people to kind of kiss up to you and say, oh, you're the best. Oh, I loved you in this movie. I love that Instagram post. I love that tweet. I'm even susceptible to it. I'll freely admit a couple of people on Twitter and a couple of people on YouTube and a couple of people in the Alabama liberal website when they've gone into my comments and said, we miss your podcast, dude. We love your podcast. We'd love you to come back. We'd love to do another episode. I'm susceptible. If there's a handful of people out there, we miss what you're doing. I'll be doing it till I'm 80 years old because it's really to the point where like any little bit of attention, I think we're hardwired to seek it out. The idea that somebody will listen to what you have to say. If you can sit in a room and record your own thoughts and talk to yourself for an hour and there's even 10 people willing to listen to that, that's addictive. And we're all like that. I mean, I go to my grandfather's house back in the day and he'd tell me stories from way back when and I'm listening to him. And I'm sure that was a little bit addictive because it's like, hey, somebody young wants to hear stories about when I was young. I get to relive that in that moment. Movies, if you think about it, it's as close as people can get to being immortal. Right now, I might watch a Humphrey Bogart movie. I'm in my mid-30s. He's been dead way before I was born. Decades before I was born, he died. But if I'm watching Humphrey Bogart for that hour and a half, in a way, it's like he's alive. Because somebody who was born years after he died, decades after he died, can watch him. And I'm seeing his movements. I'm seeing his acting choices. I'm studying him. I'm enjoying his work. And that way, he's alive in that moment because I'm watching him. Of course, the bell tolls for everyone, and eventually, everyone will be forgotten, eventually. But in a way, you can prolong your life by being famous famous quote of Andy Warhol being like, in the future, everybody will be famous for 15 minutes. Well, that's another way of saying nobody will ever be really famous. 
which is a little bit scary, right? So like that little taste that we might have gotten of immortality with Cary Grant or Humphrey Bogart or Catherine Hepburn or whoever the stars of that day might have been, that's kind of going away a little bit to where now there's so many movies released and so many TV shows released. Nobody can possibly watch them all. In 2022, I watched 100 television shows and there were still TV shows that I did not watch. On my blog, alabamaliberal.com, I usually rank and review all the movies and TV shows I've seen that year. I've done it for the TV shows. I'm still going to do it for the movies, but I'll go like worst to best. I watched well over, well over 200 movies, 2022 movies, and there's still probably about half the movies that came out that year that I did not see. It would be impossible. Just talking about the American films internationally, you're talking about well over a thousand movies, China, India, and all the different countries in the world that release all their own movies. There's no way you could watch it. So that's a little bit scary. Because I'm remembering a conversation that Conan O'Brien, he talked about with Albert Brooks. And he was like, you make movies, which is great because you get to be immortal and people get to watch them decades later. And what I do as a late night talk show host is just forgotten. I do these episodes and then a few weeks later, people forgot I ever did them and we have to keep doing them. It's so disposable. And Albert Brooks talked about Clark Gable. He was like, at the beginning of the century, they said, oh, Clark Gable, he's going to be the biggest movie star of all time. This is going to be his century, but who the fuck really thinks about Clark Gable anymore? Sooner or later, all of our graves go unattended. You hear that, and I was so depressed, I couldn't blink. You know what I mean? Like, damn, that's a bleak thought. But it kind of is the truth. We're structuring our lives around doing things in this moment and right now, but a few decades after we're gone, I mean, who's to say what that impact can be? People who are in TV and film, they can prolong it a little bit more than most people. But that's, I think, behind perhaps the drive to be famous and to be out there, to hear your name in the crowd, which fascists feel that all the time. Trump loves to do his rallies. He wants to go out there and have people in his rallies and they're cheering his name and they're calling for him. Well, that's a version of fame. Taylor Swift goes out there and she has a concert and there's 10,000 people in the stand. Oh my God, you're the best it's ever been. That's what Trump feels when he does these big stupid rallies all the time. Even in the middle of COVID, when he's putting the lives of his fans in danger, you'd think there'd be a part of his brain that would kick in and say, hey, I might need these people. He's already planning his re-election coup or whatever. Some of them are going to die from COVID, but he doesn't care because it's that addictive. And, you know, of course, he makes money off of it. I understand that too. He did a rally in Coleman, Alabama. And I knew some people that went to that. There were literal school teachers, retired school teachers, who said that they went to that and they paid, I think it was 200 bucks a ticket or something like that. It wasn't cheap and it wasn't free. And they went and paid two or 300 bucks a ticket to a guy who supposedly has a billion dollars, but doesn't, of course, he's in debt. This is a person who's on a pension and they don't make a lot of money. They're not worth a lot of money, but they'll spend several hundred dollars to go watch this con artist in a cow pasture in the middle of Coleman, Alabama. People are like, you want to come? I'm like, I'd rather go to North Korea. But being famous buys you so many privileges. I mean, you can't even really believe it. Out here in LA, you see it all the time. My son went to kindergarten at the same school as a lot of celebrities. And you would see that like Tim Allen had his own parking space. His daughter gets to be the lead in anything that they do at the school. And now you can see that she's been put on this show, The Santa Clauses. Or, oh, I've seen her around the school. They're not knowing that he trained her to be the next generation. That's another part of it, where people love fame so much they want their kids to do it because that almost carries on their legacy as well. Hollywood is really completely full of shit because in the one second they'll be lecturing people about privilege and then in the next breath, okay, but what about the nepotism? Ah, no, 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 there's no such thing as the nepotism. You know, they're real defensive about that. But nepotism in Hollywood, that's the ultimate privilege. 
I mean, that blows any other privilege out of the water. I mean, you can't really lecture a guy who lives in a trailer park in Gunnersville, Alabama on fucking privilege. And then you're rich and famous. Your daughter's rich and famous. Your grandkids are rich and famous. I mean, that really is inherited wealth to the 10th extreme. And they're really kind of oblivious about that. They really don't like talking about it. I've noticed that around here. And if you ever bring it up, they'll be like, oh, it's just a foot in the door as though that's not 95% of it to begin with. And they'll say, oh yeah, but you went out there and you didn't do a good job. After three or four movies, they wouldn't hire you again. First of all, you know how many people could work their entire lives and not get cast as the co-lead in three or four movies? I mean, like, what is that saying that you have to go out there and stink? In a business where there is no objective quality. You can't really quantify if somebody's a great actor or a terrible actor. There's people I don't think are very good actors. They get cast over and over again. Can't totally quantify, like, is Vin Diesel a good actor? Is Jennifer Aniston a good actress? In my opinion, Jennifer Aniston is not a great actress. She's worked consistently for more than 30 years because her dad was somebody in a soap opera. And then she can come out and criticize social media and be like, oh, in social media, anybody can just get famous because they made a TikTok video. And it's like, well, I guess it beats the old way of like, I cried out of my dad's balls and he was on a soap opera way back when. And so then I get to be rich and famous because he was rich and famous. I don't really think that social media fame is worse, but they're really defensive about it. And then somebody will say like, oh, well, that's just a foot in the door or whatever. And what was up with that guy? Oh, his dad was a director and that's why he's defending, that's why he's defending that system. Gwyneth Paltrow, she was on Shark Tank a month or two ago and they were doing her intro and she goes, my dad was really adamant that I never got money from him. And so he never gave me any money. He made me work for what I got. I thought he got you an agent and a manager that got you gigs that were worth millions of dollars. Can you please cut the shit? It showed her accepting the Shakespeare in Love Oscar, being like, Shakespeare in Love Oscar changed my life. I thought, oh wait, I thought that was the night Harvey Weinstein gave you a hug. And then you went out there and said it was one of the worst nights of your life. I don't know. I was just real confused by this backstory where the Oscar that Harvey Weinstein helped her get, and then the dad who never gave her any money, but obviously helped her get big into an industry that pays millions of dollars. It's all bullshit. That's the ultimate privilege is the inherited nepotism and wealth in Hollywood. Another thing that was completely hypocritical talking about celebrity privileges and fame, we're about to come up on the one year anniversary of when Will Smith committed the first assault at the Oscars, knocked the shit out of Chris Rock. And I never got a chance to really talk about this because there was gaps between those episodes as well. But what strikes me is not even, it was shocking that the first assault at the Oscars was committed, but even worse was the number of people defending him. And this is Trump all over again, where Trump is a total piece of shit. He's garbage. We all know who he is. But the fact that there's still so many people defending him, talking about he's going to make a comeback, at a certain point, we know who Trump is. But his fans, they can't pretend that they don't know who this guy is anymore. 2016, they could be like, oh, we had no idea it would turn out like this. After 2020, when he's committed the first coup in our nation's history, he's like, I want power. Therefore, I will seize power. Therefore, I will stay in control. You can't pretend you don't know who he is anymore. With Will Smith, and I know that it's a much, much more minor example. I'm not saying that he did anything like what Trump did, but the impulse is there. I'm rich and famous and I have been for decades and I must get what I want. It is important for me not to be embarrassed. With Trump, half of it was he didn't want to be embarrassed. He didn't want to say, I'm a loser and I've lost. 
Because otherwise, like, why would he care? Like, he didn't really enjoy being president, but he wasn't good at it. There was so much shit he didn't want to do. Coronavirus response or coordinating the federal government or marshalling anything. I mean, he wasn't really doing his job six months before he got beat. He didn't want to work on the stimulus packages. He didn't want to get stimulus checks out there. He didn't want to do track and trace for the CDC's coronavirus response. There was just so much of the job he didn't want to do. So you almost wonder, why does he care? Because he doesn't want to be a loser. He can't get beat. Anytime he gets beat, the world's biggest sore loser impulse kicks in of like, it must be rigged. If I'm losing, it must be rigged. And it's not all that different from Will Smith sitting there being like, I've wanted an Oscar all these years. I should have won one for the pursuit of happiness, or so I've told people. I should have won one for Ali, or so I've told people. I should have been nominated for a concussion. The last time that Chris Rock hosted the Oscars before he got slapped, he was just presenting that time. But the last time he actually hosted was the year that Will Smith and Jada boycotted the Oscars because he wasn't nominated for a concussion. And you think like, how egotistical is that? A mediocre movie and a mediocre performance? But in his mind, he should have been nominated. So he's not going to come. He's going to take his ball and go home. And in that moment, he's like, the Oscar that I've campaigned for and wanted and talked about wanting for 20 years, I'm finally here. I'm going to get it. I've won the Golden Globe. I've won the SAG. Every single Oscar prognosticator has said, I'm going to win this thing. But Chris Rock comes out here 10 minutes before I'm going to win it. And he says something I don't like. And in that moment, it is my celebrity privilege to go up there and knock the hell out of this man because how dare he try to rain on my parade or embarrass me on my big night. This is about me. Can he not fucking understand that? And that ego unchained of going up there and doing that and then going back there and sitting down and screaming, keep my wife's name out your mouth or whatever. I don't think he really gave a shit about Jada. People are always trying to say, oh, he was defending his wife. which is so generous and so comically naive and a little bit full of shit. I think we all know it's full of shit. The guy wrote a book, a biography, talking about his wife cheating on him, having an open marriage, how he wasn't cool with it. He really, I don't think, is that protective of his wife's reputation. If you look at some of the passages of his autobiography, you just can't read that. And he's getting into the messy conflict between him and Tupac Shakur. And his daughter Willow is at one point writing in her journal that she wishes Tupac Shakur was alive so that her mother could be happy and be with Tupac instead. These are not passages that are protecting your wife from messy drama or whatever, or people talking about her. I don't really think it was about Jada, in all honesty, who has cheated on him with some pretty trashy dudes, as he's talked about publicly. Jada's with like the most successful black movie star of all time, and then there'll be a rapper with face tattoos, and she's like, ooh, I wonder what his story is. <laughs> you know, like she's kind of more towards a guy who's a little bit of a low life. And then they have an affair, and then the guy goes out and talks about it publicly. He's like, oh, yeah, I was with Jada or whatever, almost rubbing it in Will's face. So I don't really think it was truly about Jada in that moment. But that was a perfect example of celebrity privilege. How hypocritical is it of Hollywood to sit there and be like, oh, all these celebrity men, time's up, time's up. They think they're big shots. They think they can do what they want to. Well, this is me too time. This is time's up time. We're not putting up with this shit anymore. Will Smith goes up there and knocks the hell out of Chris Rock over a joke. And then 10 minutes later, it gets a standing ovation from the same goddamn people. And let that sit in your mind and marinate. 2017, the Me Too movement, 2018, 2019, all we heard about is time's up. Hollywood big shots, they gotta go. Kick that Johnny Depp off this movie. Get rid of that dude. Kevin Spacey, let him enjoy retirement. No more bad behavior. 
behavior from men. If a man yells at a female actress, it is not okay and he will be called out. Jeffrey Tambor will be fired from his own show because he yelled at an actress and we are not going to put up with this shit anymore. Will Smith, the A-lister, gets up there and slaps a guy. Good for you, Will. Yeah, you know what? You were great in King Richard, man. I love you. You're, you're the best. I just thought, how full of shit can you get? But that's the high school mentality. If it's a B-lister like Louis C.K. or T.J. Miller or Jeremy Piven, put them out to dry. Chris Noth, that guy's got to go. Chris Noth, fuck that guy. He's got to go. If it's an A-lister like Will Smith, ah, let him slap whoever he wants. He ain't hurting nobody. Come on, everybody. It's just good time. If it's an A-lister, they can still kind of do whatever the hell they want to do because they're the captain of the football team. And the people they throw to the wolves, they're the drama nerds or they're the comedians. They're the fat comedian who barely has been in a movie or whatever they're the guys that gotta go and so you can really kind of see it is about fame exactly how famous somebody is there could be terrible stories about tom cruise from now until the day he dies but as long as these top gun maverick movies and mission impossible movies as long as he keeps making a billion dollars a year for whatever studio is lucky enough to have him in their movie he's not going anywhere and fame is just so addictive i mean we're to the point where just about anybody in our culture would be mesmerized by it for the same reasons that people want to be fastest and they want to be at the top of the food chain there was always that cliche movies about royalty there are where like, oh the king is really a good person, but it's his advisor that's bad. It's the Jafar that's leading them astray. The king is a great person, but Jafar, he's the one who wants to lead them astray and really be the puppet master and control the throne behind the scenes. A true dictator? There's nobody like that alive. Xi Jinping, he might have had people like that, like mentors that thought like, oh, we'll put Xi in charge, but really we'll be the ones, they're all dead, or they're all in jail, or they're all disappeared at this point. Vladimir Putin had people like that. They're all dead. There was uh, oligarchs that thought, oh, we'll put him in charge and we can control him. Some of them fled to London, and in London, they wound up dead under very mysterious and suspicious circumstances. Kim Jong-un killed his own uncle to avoid the perception that there was any power behind the throne, that there was anybody but him. He's the head. He's large and in charge. And so Trump would love to do the same damn thing. At one point, Steve Bannon, you got that weaselly feeling that he wanted to be Jafar. He wanted to be the guy who was like, oh yeah, you know, Trump, well, let that idiot pretend he's president, but come to old Bannon if you really need something. He got fired. Anything that he thought he was going to do or pull or work on the side, Trump's like, you got to go and you're gone fired so many people who probably thought they could manage him, that they could control him, rinse Priebus. And at the end of the day, it was just him. He was going to fire anybody he wanted to get rid of. So that's why with W. Bush, we were able to fool ourselves into being like, oh, W. Bush, he's really a good person. It's that big, bad Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney and Karl Rove. Karl Rove was never elected, but he's really the puppet master behind Bush. Trump has nobody like that. And he's fired anybody who even could have been perceived as being like that. He's put them on ice because he wants it known, I am the head. I am the one in charge. And we see that with dictators. They're willing to kill their own uncles to maintain their death grasp. There can be nobody else above them. That impulse to be loved by the crowd can very quickly turn into, if these people don't want me, I will control them. I will make them want me. I don't care what they want. They're sheep and I'm going to lead them. And you see a lot of politicians that, quite frankly, they have contempt for the people that they're supposed to rule over. 
we can see it with the Santas all the time to where he's probably in the back of his mind thinking these Florida yahoos or these hicks, I'm going to rule over them and I'm going to tell them what to do. In my mind, he is more of a straight communist than a fascist. A lot of fascists, I think the key tenet for them is autocracy. They want to be at the top and they want nobody else above them. They are the ideology, worship of them. With DeSantis, I think he's a little different and more of a traditional communist in that number one, he cares much more about education. He wants to really control the way people think, what they're taught in schools. He's very, very focused on the schools and what they're taught. Race and gender and sexuality, those all have to be micromanaged by him. That's much more communist doctrine than I think most of the autocrats. With a modern-day fascist or autocrat, the ideology is pretty flexible. With DeSantis, it's really not. He's much more of a lifelong Republican, and he much more cares how that's being perceived. When he was getting rid of the so-called woke math books, it was actually the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, that he went and bought the math books from. He wanted to buy textbooks from Glenn Youngkin's company. That's building power for the Republican Party. He's not just totally building his own power. He's helping other Republican governors. And you can say, well, that's the soft power of relationships where he's building that. That doesn't really matter, I think, in terms of just pure electoral advantage. Marco Rubio tried that. If you remember back in 2016, some of the first episodes of the podcast, we were talking about, well, Rubio's done the best job of, like, he's trying to collect endorsements. Ted Cruz, they said he had this great ground operation where all these people would go door to door and Rubio had all these endorsements and he was collecting all the big donors and all the big endorsements, especially once Jeb Bush dropped out. But Trump was just blunt force, just, I'm out here, I'm doing rallies, I'm in your face, I'm in the media all the time, you can't get rid of me, I'm around constantly. So I don't think that DeSantis is helping somebody like Glenn Youngkin just to bolster his own presidential aspirations. I think he cares about the party itself, much more the way that the old school communists of it being like, we want a whole generation of kids brought up with conservative doctrine. We want them to care about conservatism and invest in that. And we will strip private companies and we will redistribute that to the state. He's done it to Disney. He took away Disney's Reedy Creek property. He didn't even have a plan to do that. He just did it. He did it and then it was almost like, okay, we're the dog that caught the car, now what? Disney, make no mistake, is one of the biggest employers in Florida. They generate billions of dollars in revenue to Florida. In the Orlando area, which is where DeSantis is from. That's his home area, the Orlando area. Disney's the largest employer. And so he thought it would be a good idea during an election year. The first time he was elected in 2018, he barely won. It was a very close race in a state that tilts red. A guy who eventually was found out to be gay and on meth almost beat DeSantis in a state where most of the governors have been Republican. And DeSantis almost lost that race. As he's running for re-election in 2022, he's like, you know what we should do? Pick a fight with one of the most powerful corporations in the state. And he won and he got the Reedy Creek property away from Disney control into state hands. But that's redistribution of wealth from private ownership back into the state. He's controlling education from kindergarten all the way up through 12th grade, even at the college level. He's trying to control discussions about race and gender. He's telling private businesses what they can and can't talk about with things like the Stop Woke Act. At the Stop Woke Act, it put limitations on can we discuss race and what can companies talk about? And if a white employee feels uncomfortable in any way, they could go complain and they could technically, under Florida law, be found in violation. You can see things that are very different from your typical Republican. Your typical Republican is, hey, we're going to ban abortion and uh, 
know, let 10-year-olds have a gun or whatever like that. But he's controlling educational thought. He's controlling what private businesses can talk about. He's redistributing property from private to public ownership. And these are things that we associated much more closely with communism. And so I do think he's probably more closely aligned with an actual ideology. It's just a conservative right-wing version of communism, which, of course, you tell his fans that. And they're like, oh, no, 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 you're crazy. You're... Even some liberals don't like to be told that. They're like, no, he's not a communist, almost because they're mad that there's a right-wing version of communism out there. They like to think that maybe they're the communist or whatever. And they're like, well, I don't like him being called that. And they'll go by the political textbook, which frankly hasn't been the case since the Khmer Rouge. People haven't actually practiced that version of communism. In China, you can own property. In North Korea, you can own property. So the idea of it being like, well, he hasn't outlawed private property ownership yet. And I'm like, okay, if that's the only basis of communism, perhaps maybe, you know, check out what's been happening the last 30 years in communist countries. I think you might find quite interesting. So what's behind this overall need to control people? Why do people even want to control other people? Why do they want to tell them what to do? And we do it all the time. People do it to me and don't even realize it. In my apartment complex, people smoke cigarettes and they do it right by windows that are near me. That affects my health. It's like, oh, my enjoyment is more important than this guy's health. I'm going to spread my fumes all around. It's going to get in this guy. People do it with music. Okay, cigarettes is literal pollution, but what about noise pollution? You'll be driving down the road and the person who cranks their music up, it's never the kind of music I would ever, ever listen to. Like I would never voluntarily listen to what they're cranking up. It's always heavy metal, rap, whatever fucking music Bad Bunny plays. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? It's like that rap, hip hop, pop, Latin music flavored or whatever. It's all Pitbull and Kid Rock. Nobody's ever like, hey man, is that Mozart? Crank that shit up. Hell, is that an alternative rock band? Put it on 11. Never alternative rock, never classical music. It's always music I would never, ever voluntarily listen to. And that's all that gets blasted from cars. So in that moment, it's no longer about the person in the car because that music is so loud, it rattles my windows. So they can't even hear it. It's so loud in their car. There's no way they could even enjoy it because it's hurting their ears so bad because if it's loud enough to rattle my windows, it's gotta be not enjoyable for them to listen to it. So it's about, just to borrow a phrase, man spread, man spread my sound waves all over the damn road and to whoever happens to be around me. Let me spread that out. The man spreading on subways that men do. Well, it's mostly men that crank their music up so loud that other cars are infected by it. And then I've talked about in previous podcast episodes, 99% of dictators are men. I've called it the dictatorship. It's tempting to think that men and women are closer today than they've ever been. And in many ways they are. I think the old adage of like only men have egos, I don't think that's true. But what is true is that typically the most male dominated countries at the political level, almost all of them happen to be fascist. And it doesn't matter what form that takes. If it's an Islamic country, it's Islamic fascism. If Islamic fascism does take over, women have almost no rights. But oh, she needs to cover up her head. Why? Oh, uh, because God's looking down on her. But why is it God looking Looking down on you. I don't make the rules, man. Just women need to cover up and men don't. And that's just the way that it is. I'll see people like that in Los Angeles. There'll be an Arabic man or a Persian man. He's wearing shorts and a t-shirt and looking comfortable as fuck. His wife's sweating balls over there in a burqa and a hijab. Their face is unexposed. They're sweating because it's so hot here. The women are in clothes that you wouldn't wear in the wintertime. I mean, it looks like they're at a ski resort and the men are just walking around like, oh, hey, you know, well, that's the way it is. You know, God, he wanted her to cover up so that she could stay pure. Her innocence can be maintained. Really, we're protecting 
protecting women. Such a thin line between protecting women and oppressing them. I mean, it really is. Because like, hey, hey, we're doing all this for their benefit. Men are savage and impure. And that's why we must protect women by keeping them covered up at all times. And that's why we, because we're already dogs, we can run around and be comfortable and, uh, you know, free in our own skin. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Maybe they would like to be free in their own skin as well. No, no, we must keep them pure. It's for their benefit. They're better than we are. Man, they're so much better than we are. You know, it's all bullshit. But it's everywhere. I mean, just like there's good people in every race, there's terrible people in every race. I mean, Africa produced Nelson Mandela and Robert Mugabe. People of white descent produced Adolf Hitler and Jonas Salk. Adolf Hitler wants to kill millions of people to make the world pure. Jonas Salk just wants to give millions of people a vaccine to keep them from dying. So those impulses are there. But there is something I think is maybe specific to the male genetics, if you will, that's like we must control the world or somehow. We must shape the world to be more what we want it to be. And you could even see it with Elon Musk. I guess another story between the last episode is that he finally forced the hostile takeover of Twitter and took over Twitter and promptly ran it into the ground. I don't think Twitter is anywhere near as popular as it once was. I never go on there anymore. He's like, I must control free speech. Now think about that for a minute. It's a paradox to say, I will control it. It will be free speech. I will decide what speech is free and what speech isn't. It's like, if I say I'm a free speech advocate, why does it have to go through me? Why do I decide, oh, Trump gets to get back on here and a liberal journalist, they're off for good. They're permanently banned because they had a negative story about me. So they're off for good, but I'm going to let Alex Jones back on here. That's controlling free speech, which of course is an oxymoron. Can't control free speech, obviously. But he doesn't care about free speech, and that was never what it was about. And so what is it about? could say, I'm going to spend $43 billion to buy a problem. That's what he did. He bought himself a problem, which was a headache in the form of Twitter. And to spend $43 billion on your own ruin, look like an idiot buying this, overpaying for it, and then running it in the ground, and then possibly having to sell it at a loss. And it's going to really deflate my image as the master businessman of the 21st century. I'm the richest man in the world, and people have to think that's for a reason. They have to think that I am smarter than anyone else, because otherwise, how can you justify me having all this money where you can't really? So I need them to think I'm a genius. This is going to kill my image as a genius. So why would he do it? And I think it's because, like so many guys, you hit a certain point to where your goals don't work out. He has all these goals and dreams, and he's going to do this, and he thinks he can make it, he can do these great things, and you have all these goals and aspirations, and almost any guy I know earlier on in their 20s, they might have a lot of goals and aspirations that are pretty big and pretty large, but a lot of good ideas. And then you hit a wall and you can't make them happen and you settle for being an internet troll. <laughs> you, know, you get that middle age period where you're like, ah, fuck everyone and everything and the world sucks. And you know what? Yeah, build that wall. Build that wall right up. You settle for being an internet troll because your own dreams didn't work out. It might happen to where I'd love to be famous. I'd love to love to love to be rich and famous. And so then you hit a wall of it being like, it looks like it's harder and harder and it may not happen. So then it's just easier to go on Twitter and talk shit about people. You see somebody who's out there and just being annoying or just being a goof. You're in a great mood or your life's going well. You probably don't want to engage a nut in a battle. It's almost like you're screaming at squirrels at Central Park. You look just as crazy as they do. You probably would leave that person alone. But if you're in a bad mood, you think, you know what? Fuck it. I'll start a fight. Well, that's what's happened to Elon. He had the grand vision of, I'm going to put a man on Mars. A man's going to be able to walk across the surface of Mars. I'm going to connect computers to people's brains with Neuralink if we could merge our consciousness with computers. He also wanted to totally transform transportation to where there would be boring tunnels and we'd tunnel under the ground. It's still a really dumb idea. A car as a subway tunnel and it travels across the country. That's really stupid, but it's very ambitious. And he's trying to do something. He's trying to get self-driving cars going. So instead of totally autonomous,
autonomous self-driving cars that can pick us up and deliver us like robotic taxis or instead of putting a man on Mars, he's hit a wall with all these goals. And so now he's just like, fuck it. I'll buy Twitter and I'll talk shit on there and I'll control what gets said on there. And if people want to tell me how great I am, you know, well, that's fine too. I'm going to follow that applause. And that follows into the pushback of we all want to be famous, but as long as it's in a way where we're not infamous. And I think that that's such an important distinction to where I'll admit, and I'll freely be honest, I wanted to be famous my entire life. Kind of an unseemly thing to admit. I'm supposed to be humble and be like, oh, no, no, fame. I mean, who on earth would want such a thing as long as I have a farm and I can farm my crops and go about my life or whatever? Well, I'm not going to be like that because that's bullshit. Anybody who would release 94 episodes of a podcast for no money and for free, they want the platform and they want people to follow them. But truly believe this quote of it, you'll get everything you've ever wanted, but you'll get it when you no longer want it. And I can see that with so many things. I used to want to be a guest on Real Time with Bill Maher so bad, I would have killed somebody. If he had been like, you got to kill somebody to get on this show, some poor fucker would have been dead. Wanted to be on that show so bad for so many years. And yet, a few years ago, about the time Biden took office, he started to really lurch more rightward. He started to get very repetitive. He started to have the same guest on over and over. He started to be very sour. Now it's a show I don't even watch. And so what used to be, really during the Obama days and then a little bit the Trump days, especially early on, what used to be one of my favorite shows, especially favorite talk show, and I would have killed to have been a guest on there. I lived right across the street from that studio to where I could walk to his studio. I've been there as an audience member. I've been there to watch them rehearse. They filmed the show on Friday night. I don't know if they do it because of COVID anymore, but they used to do like a rehearsal on Wednesday or Thursday, go in and he'd do some of the monologue and he'd do some of the new rules to kind of see what worked. I've done both of those. Could walk to his studio. He wouldn't have to send a car, an Uber, a taxi, nothing. And so you think it would be so easy and so good. And you see so many guests come on there and it's the same fucking person over and over. And you think, man, why not give me my first shot instead of giving some asshole that's been on there a hundred times like Matt Welsh or Brett Stevens or somebody who just has nothing original or new. They're so stupid and they're wrong about everything. Every prediction they make is wrong. Instead of giving so many guests like that and he's got one on every single fucking week. Instead of giving them their 20th shot, their 100th shot in some cases, why not give me my first shot? Why not give me one fucking opening where I could sit on that panel and have that opportunity and I would have given anything to do it. And now that he's been on the air for so long, well, I don't even care really to watch the show or be on there anymore. It's the same thing with fame to where people are like, oh, cancel culture and blah, 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 and all these guys getting canceled. They used to make me afraid of that. All the people who actually do stand to lose money, like Joe Rogan, they try to pass that fear onto their audience. You could get fired too. It's not just famous people and it's not just rich people. It's people like you. You could get fired as well. Johnny Depp literally said that. He was at a book signing or something and he goes, hey, they're not just coming for me. They're coming for all of you. Every person in this room could be canceled. And I'm like, okay, so you lose your job at McDonald's. Like really, what fucking difference does it make? And so they try to pass that on to us, that fear of that happening. They want us to feel that fear of that happening. But of course, they're going to lose millions of dollars. We're probably not going to lose that much. If you look at how much some of these media people get paid, you can't even believe it. Seth Meyers makes like five to $10 million a year to sit down and do his old job of weekend update. He does his monologue sitting down. He does Weekend Update as a talk show, has a few guests come out and they tell stories. That part's really easy because there's some interview coordinator goes through with a guest, like what they're going to say. Like, oh, one time you ate a waffle that looked like Jesus. Oh yeah. And then Seth will be like, I would think it would be intimidating to literally eat Jesus. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then they all laugh. The interview portion is very, very easy. It's pre-choreographed. They do that. Then he does his monologue, which somebody else wrote most of those jokes. They go in and they pitch him what their ideas are. So somebody else 
podcast does all the hard work. The person who listens to this podcast to steal ideas and take five jokes so they can pitch them to Jimmy Fallon or Bill Maher, Seth Myers, and be like, here's these great ideas that I came up with, the least popular writer in your writer's room of 20 people. Like, that's what they do. They stumble across these really obscure blogs and podcasts that they don't think anybody else listens to and that nobody else really does listen to. And they take bits and pieces and then they pitch it as their own ideas. And then Stephen Colbert wolfs it up and is like, oh yeah, I like that joke. I'll tell that one joke out there tonight. He gets an attaboy and Stephen Colbert gets $40 million a year. Or what. And these media jobs, they're so lucrative and they pay so well that that's why these people have spread the fear of cancel culture. That's why they're so afraid of losing their gravy train job because if they can stay in the media and they can make $10 million a year to do the same fucking Trump jokes they were doing five years ago, then one day their kids can get old enough that they can get a job in the media and it can be passed on down to them. And they may not be a talk show host, but if it's a comedian's kid, they might be a director. And then that director can get paid $5 million to direct a shitty Marvel movie or whatever movies are big coming up at that time. Oh, the Fast and Furious reboot. Did you know that that was Jimmy Fallon's kid that was going to direct that or whatever? And that can be passed on to them. But the gravy train that'll last you for three generations, that stops cold if you get cancel culture, so-called quote-unquote, which most of us really wouldn't affect us that much. Most people would move on after a few news cycles. But for Joe Rogan to lose his $100 million from Spotify deal and then potentially his kids and their launch into whatever they'll do 20 years from now, making shitty documentaries that nobody watches, but that people pay them to make because their dad was famous, they don't want to lose that. So they passed that fear on to us. The talk show host that I did care about at one point, Bill Maher, back when he he said the n-word on tv he was going to get real time yanked off the year i was like oh no they're going to cancel real time this is the worst i literally made a video about it on my youtube channel i've since taken it down but on my youtube channel i was begging hbo please don't cancel him now i think maybe he should have been canceled and not because i think he's offensive but because his quality is so low i can't keep watching him say uh the woke kids they're out of control and blah 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 i mean it's the same shit every week so if he had been canceled five years ago we actually would have missed him five years ago it would have been like, can you believe that they canceled Bill Maher over a joke? It would have been like Don Imus when it was like, can you believe they canceled Don Imus? What a dumb thing to do. And then he gets a second job as a radio host. He gets a new job that nobody even really listens to him because we forgot he was on the air for the years before he was on there. Then he makes more racist comments and it's like, oh yeah, he kind of ruined it by coming back because he came back and reminded us like, oh yeah, he is kind of a racist. So if Bill had been canceled, it would have been like, man, that was terrible and that was such an overreaction. But then he probably would have got another job on Paris out plus or something and then we'd watch that and be like okay he's way worse now because he got canceled by the left this time so now he's totally right wing and so you'll get everything you want when you perhaps no longer want it i used to think oh my god Nicki minaj the hottest woman on earth there's no woman as hot as she is she's so sexy i would be with her in two seconds she goes out and marries a sex offender (laughs) and you think like that almost says something about her rihanna is a literal billionaire she's got a cosmetics company and a fashion company and music. She could never make another album, but her cosmetics company and her fashion company are so lucrative. She could do nothing. She could just slap her face on a few cans of makeup and lay around her pool and smoke weed all day and she'd still make a hundred million a year just from these businesses that she's quote unquote founded but is really putting your name on it as a celebrity in a culture that puts a high premium on celebrity you put your name on it other people go out there and do the work all the actors are doing this now ryan reynolds makes one mediocre movie 
a year and gets paid $25 million. And then he converts that into a soccer team where he buys a soccer team or a gin company where he had a gin company or a telecommunications company where he's in commercials for Mint Mobile. And it's almost like, sir, are you even really an actor? Because a telecommunications company, a cell phone company is kind of involved. Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop, Jessica Alba, an honest company. And you could run through the list of all the celebrities doing this. They've all got their own fashion label, their own podcast, their own brand of tequila, their own alcohol, their own beauty product. And really it's somebody else else's work and they put their name on it. Maybe they invest a little bit of money in the very beginning. Probably not that much because most celebrities are very cheap. They're used to getting things for free, which is why if you ever go out to eat with a celebrity, you'll probably wind up picking up the check. Like you're convincing them to be in a script that you've written. You wind up picking up the check. They wind up not doing the damn thing. But oh, there's a promise that maybe you'll work with them one day down the road, maybe sort of, you keep that lottery winner mentality of just wanting to be around famous people who do nothing, but they somehow wind up costing you money, even though they're supposed to be making you money and you want them to endorse whatever products you've got. They say they will, but they wind up taking 40% of the company and just wind up cashing it in and getting millions of dollars off the sweat pool that you've put into it. But Rihanna, but she goes out and has two kids with like the worst dude she's ever dated. The first time she was pregnant, that guy had already been arrested in Sweden for fighting in a bar or something like that. There was all this talk about he might go to jail, other stories that he was cheating on her. So a guy that doesn't have one-tenth of her money, not one percent of her money, and has all these legal problems and could go to jail, not anywhere near to her level of fame or fortune or success or even necessarily good genes because he's smoking weed all the fucking time. And so you think like, okay, this is probably the worst guy she could have had a kid with. She has one kid with him, got pregnant, then has a second kid with him, gets pregnant again. Megan Thee Stallion, the actual most beautiful woman on earth, she dated a guy at one point that shot her, shot her in the foot, thought it was so cool to wave a gun around and accidentally fired it and shot her in the foot. The women that at one point you thought were so foxy and so fine, it's like, wow, my wife is way better than this. And I wound up so really, really dodging a bullet and not getting what I think I wanted. You're dating a woman, you think she's the best on earth. She breaks up with you, you think you're devastated, you'll never meet somebody better. Six months later, you meet somebody better. It happened to me three separate times. There's all these things you say like you'll never do, and then you wind up doing them. Oh, I'll never have kids, then you have kids. They're the best thing that ever happened to you. I am less sure now than I was 10 years ago. You think you're going to get older and you're going to get more confident and you're going to have it more figured out. I know less today than I did 10 years ago. I didn't expect that coming. I didn't expect to get less confident as I got older. You think like, oh, all these old people, they've got it all figured out and they've got all this wisdom. I feel less certain. But one of the other big things that you've always wanted maybe fame and fortune. Fame, I think I've wanted it and craved it my entire life, but then you get to that point where you don't know. Because in this current time period of 2022, it looks like you've got all the drawbacks. The benefits used to be lots of women, lots of girls, very easy to meet women, very easy to get laid. There's now so many women that would love to say, oh, I went on a date with Dak Shepard and he's a piece of shit and I can't believe, you know, and they would post a Reddit about it or TikTok about it. They would use a date with him to cash in and make their own brand or somehow get big off that themselves. There are groups where women, all they do is they point out guys they've been on dates with and they maybe even have a video of that guy or whatever. They're like, oh, hey, say hi to my fans or whatever. And then they'll be the guy not realizing he's about to get ripped to shreds. He's going to be out there as the infamous LA douchebag. And anything he does that they don't like, it'll be like, oh, I didn't like this one comment he made about a woman's jeans. I thought that was sexist. This one thing he said over there, I thought that was racist. So any comment he makes, they're going to tear him apart for that. And then if he doesn't make any bad comment, it'll be his actions. If they really liked him, but he ghosted them, it'll be like, this guy's a psycho. You know, and, and, and they'll make him look crazy and dangerous because he hurt them because he didn't call them 
them back. If it's not something like that and he's completely inoffensive, he's boring. I didn't like that guy. He's dull. And so there's a level of infamy now that can come with fame that I don't think any of us anticipated. So it's interesting. All that we know for sure is that Trump is back out there. He's back on the loose. I hope that the next few episodes I do, we talk about him very minimally, if at all, because I almost don't want to feed the beast. But the overlap of fascism and celebrity, you can totally see it with him to where he's been around for so long. If he wasn't a big celebrity before he ran for president, I don't think it would have been possible to do what he did. If there's a tape about Ron DeSantis bragging about grabbing women by the pussy, it might be a bigger deal. Because with Trump, he had been out there for so long. I was watching a movie around Christmas time. My kids wanted to watch the Home Alone movies. And Home Alone, for my son especially, he's the perfect age where that movie is just like the ultimate fantasy. Like he's home alone. He can do whatever he wants. He's got freedom. He's going to eat pizzas. It's all very PG. It's not risky business or anything where he's getting hookers and, and blow or what. But it's the ultimate kid fantasy, a movie like Home Alone. But in Home Alone 2, the main character goes to the hotel. And at one point, Trump pops up. And when Trump pops up, my son's like, ah, what's he doing there? But it was almost like a monster in a monster movie popped up to where it was like, oh my God, what's Jaws doing in the middle of this warm-hearted family film? Like the frame of reference for him is so different because when that movie would have come out, I read a story about he forced the director to put him in a cameo where he wouldn't let him film in the Trump Hotel. Like they could not film in the Trump Hotel unless he had a cameo there. He made it a stipulation. And that's how he got the cameo in the first place, which I guess in that way, really nothing has changed. Back then he was a rich jerk bully trying to bully his way into something he had no business doing. Today, he's trying to steal the White House. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for episode 95. Hopefully, it will definitely be faster than six months from now.